Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Great to see you. Um, Looking forward to opening up God's Word with you. So um, if you haven't met me, I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt, so I'd love to meet you tonight. Um, really good to be together. Let's, let's pray again. Father God, thank you so much that you've spoken. Uh, you haven't left us in darkness. Lord, please help us now, still our hearts and minds. Uh, we want minds that are renewed as we listen to what you say in your Word by your Spirit. Teach us and change us. Help us to see Jesus and live for him. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about the complexity of living the Christian life. I don't know whether you've noticed this. Uh, Think about when you became a Christian. Isn't it the case that it didn't become easier, it actually became harder? Um, Suddenly, there are new things to think about. Suddenly, there's a whole lot of questions that you never thought were questions. Um, There's a whole lot of things that you've just never, ever considered. There's actually a whole new way of seeing the world, and that makes life a bit more complicated. Uh, When when it comes to social issues, suddenly you're not worried about what the media says or what your friends are doing or where the crowd is going. You want to know what God thinks, and you want to do what pleases Him. I reckon it, it starts to affect the way you vote as you think into politics, uh, it affects your decision to obey government. And here's, here's a couple of questions which I reckon it raises. Is there ever a time and place when I shouldn't obey the government as a Christian? Is that, is that a thing? Is that something I should be thinking about? And here's another one. Can I be a patriotic Australian and be a genuine Christian at the same time? When I look at Australia, I think there are parts of Australia which I don't want to celebrate. And I don't think I can celebrate as a Christian. It's tricky, isn't it? Uh, It's tricky because if you've been with us in the Romans 12 series, uh, what are we trying to do? We're trying to not conform to the world. Uh, We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We want to please God in all of life, but we're actually living in a world that ignores God. That makes life hard. Um, We want to give our lives as living sacrifices in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, why is it so hard, uh, to quote Avril Lavigne, there she's on the screen, uh, why does life have to be so complicated? I don't think she was talking about the Christian life, but I thought I'd just throw that in. Um, yeah, why, is it, why does it require so much thought and intentionality? What's, what's that all about? Here's the answer. It's because you're living in two worlds. You're actually a dual citizen. You're a citizen of Australia and you're also a citizen of heaven at the same time. You're living in two different worlds. Um, the citizen of Australia is pretty obvious, isn't it? When you were born, you didn't, if you were born here, you didn't have a choice. Uh, you became the citizen of Australia. Uh, if you migrated here, you've made a great choice. Uh, praise God. You became, you chose to become an Australian citizen. And then, if you become a Christian, you became a citizen of heaven. Um, When you became a follower of Jesus, that moment you became a Christian, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, you might not have thought this is a massive thing in your life, but this is what happened. You moved from the dominion of darkness, God rescued you, Colossians 1 13, into the kingdom of the son that God loves. 
you became a new person, new identity, forgiven, washed clean, new status, new direction in life. That's extraordinary. That is massive. That is the biggest thing that's ever happened to you. There's the citizenship in heaven. And at the same time, you still want to be a citizen of this earth and you want to give thanks that you're a citizen of Australia and who wouldn't? What a privilege. How, how good is it? We've got, got it here. The citizenship in heaven doesn't eradicate the citizenship on earth, but gee, it massively reshapes it. You need to rethink your citizenship here because of your citizenship in heaven. Uh, so as Jeff said, what we're doing tonight, we're taking a break from Romans 12 uh, and we're going to have a think about how do we navigate these two different worlds that we've stepped into. Uh, I reckon this is really helpful theology, really helpful parts of the Bible as we think about our constitution. Now you're pleased to know this is not a sermon about a constitution. It got labelled at one point the constitution sermon and I was getting quite concerned. Um, but this is going to be great for all of life. Here's how to navigate life as a Christian in those two worlds. Here's who we are as disciples of Jesus. So let's go. Let's think about it. Think with me. Two, we're living in two different worlds, citizens of earth and citizens of heaven. So open up Philippians chapter 3, if you're not already there, verse 17. And we're going to camp here in Philippians. Uh, think about the nature of these two citizenships. Uh, from Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to go to other parts of the Bible, I'll let you know as we go. And then I want to give some thought to what are some of the implications for us as Christians, what are some of the implications for us at SALT, and I'll say something about the Constitution at the end as well. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, do stick with me. Uh, This is still relevant, Uh, this will still be good for you. What you'll see is, I think, how beautiful the Christian life is, how unique Christianity is and how free you can be living as a disciple of Jesus. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Now Paul says something incredibly powerful to the Philippian Christians. Uh, There he is writing to Christians living in this world, in the city of Philippi, Christians just like us, Uh, Christians who are doing battle with sin, facing sickness, facing death, living under government. They were living under Roman rule, a rule that looked and was very powerful. And here's what he says to that church. He says something extraordinary. Look at verse 20. You are citizens of heaven. There is our citizenship in heaven. Uh, Look at that verse with you. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are, a citizen in heaven. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word saviour and and Lord, those two titles. In fact, I do know what you're thinking. You think of Jesus, don't you? It's the saviour, the Lord Jesus. That's who he is. You know, when Paul was writing this to the Philippians, they were actually titles used in Roman times not to refer to Jesus, but to refer to the Caesar the king. The Caesar was referred to as the Lord that you are to worship. The Caesar was known as the saviour, the one who will rescue his nation. And so can you see, uh, can you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying something incredibly radical. He's saying, actually, no, no, Caesar is not your saviour. Caesar is not your Lord. Jesus is the saviour. Jesus 
is the King, the Lord, and it's him that you are serving and him that you are waiting to appear on that last day. What does that mean? Rome is not the final authority. You have a higher allegiance. Uh, There is one that even the Caesar must answer to. The risen Lord is Lord of all, of every authority, every king. He is your king. And so Paul's message is clear, isn't it? Rome won't save you, but Jesus is your saviour. Caesar is not the ultimate king. Jesus is the king. Look to Jesus, live live for Jesus. Consider yourselves citizens of heaven first. You're still a citizen on earth, but let your citizenship in heaven shape the way you think about your citizenship here on earth. And as you think about that, that is going to create some tensions for you, isn't it? That, that must create um, some, some issues for us. If you're truly born again, if you truly know that you're a citizen of, God, of God's city, God's kingdom, you're going to feel the tension between living here, investing here, being a citizen here, and being a citizen of heaven at the same time. Who doesn't love Wollongong? Wollongong's a great city. I love Wollongong. I've grown to love Wollongong, you'd be pleased to know. Um, What is there not to love about Wollongong? You could rave on about Wollongong, couldn't you? It is beautiful. It is great to live in Wollongong. But I don't love Wollongong. Because Wollongong doesn't give glory to God. I can never get too excited about Wollongong because of what Wollongong stands for as a city in opposition to God, not giving thanks to God. And so do you, do you see the tension? I'm trying to live as a citizen of heaven, see things God's way, and I'm also a citizen here. It doesn't mean you stop being a citizen here, stop being a citizen of earth, and it's certainly not an excuse to be an anarchist. You can't say as a Christian, oh, I don't follow government rule, you know, God is my king. That's not a Christian position, that's not a biblical position. Let me, let me show you some passages from the rest of the, the New Testament that talk about this tension between heaven and earth. In 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter calls Christians, do you remember this? Strangers. That's who you are, strangers in this world. Foreigners, aliens, he says, the world is not your home. You don't belong here. You're just passing through. Be really clear on that. And yet, at the same time, half of his letter is about how to live here. And, and a, a part of his letter, in chapter 2, is about how you relate to government. Look at chapter 2, verse 13, it's up on the screen. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It's the very same instruction we get in Romans chapter 13, the the chapter after the series that we're looking at at the moment. I've picked out one verse for you again on the screen. Romans 13, 1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. It's actually the, the example that Jesus set us, and it's the example the apostles set us, 
So think about Jesus with me for a moment. Think about his life in the Gospels. He had every reason not to submit to Roman rule. He, he put the government in place. He is the Lord over every kingdom. He's the Lord over the Roman Empire. It is all there for him and his glory. He could have overthrown the Roman government and yet he chooses not to. He chooses to humbly submit himself uh, before the emperor. Remember at his trial he says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, this city, this um, heavenly gathering that Jesus is forming, is not formed by military might. Notice how different that is to Islam. Notice how different Jesus is to Muhammad, who was a military leader who conquered. Jesus' kingdom is vastly different to any other kingdom. Do you remember when Peter wants to defend Jesus in the Gospels? Um, and he takes out his sword and cuts off someone's ear. And Jesus says, Peter, you haven't understood, you must put the sword down. My kingdom will not come in by military force or coercion. My kingdom is not of this world. Peter, you've misunderstood. My kingdom will come by my death and my resurrection, by the pouring out of my spirit. I'm going to have hearts turned to me that love and serve me, minds that are transformed, people that bring glory and honour to me. My kingdom is an unseen kingdom. My kingdom is a global kingdom. My kingdom is the most powerful, real and eternal kingdom there could possibly be, even if not everyone recognises it until the last day. And so it's Jesus who says, if you're a Christian, hear these words, you are in the world but not of the world. That's who you are. You're in the world, I want you to be in the world, but you're not of the world. That comes from John chapter 17. It's worth flicking back to John chapter 17, do that. Um, Have a look at John 17 verse 14. I want you to see what Jesus prays for his disciple, what he prays for every disciple, what he prays for you. Here's Jesus, it's, it's the passage that Lisa read out for us, it's Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. Here's a window into the heart of Jesus for his people, for you. Verse 14, he says, I've given them, my disciples, your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Can you see what, it's it's some powerful things there about us and our identity, isn't it? The world will hate you. There's the tension. You're a citizen of heaven. Here are the citizens of earth. They will not like you. They will hate you. You're called not to love the world. You won't belong here, Jesus says. But what's his prayer? It's not that you come out of the world, so it's not that you form a Christian bubble, it's not that you create that holy huddle or enter into the monastery away from the world. No, he says, but you live in the world and Jesus prays that you'll be protected from the evil one. That's what you need as you live in the world. 
And he says, he's sending you out into the world. Out into the world, just as Jesus was sent out into the world. There is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, isn't that the pattern of the, of the apostles? They go out into the world, to the ends of the earth. They live as disciples. They proclaim the gospel. They are different. This world is not their own. And yet, they submit to government. But who is their ultimate allegiance? It's Jesus. They're living in two worlds. They are dual citizens. And you are living in two worlds. You are dual citizens. It reminds me of a friend uh, who went to live in Japan. I don't know whether anyone's ever actually lived here in Japan for some time, but I think even if you stay for a short period of time, this is the case. He's an Australian citizen. He goes over there. He's under the authority of the Japanese government. And when he arrives, his visa is stamped alien. Literally, the word alien is written on his passport. They're telling him up front, you don't belong here. This is not your home. You can stay. Uh, That's what the visa's about. But there he is, living his life in tension between two worlds. So where is his ultimate allegiance? Um, Heavenly, uh, earthly speaking, he's an Australian. He, you know, his his allegiance is Australia. That's where his protection will be. That's the country he's responsible to. But for this time, there he is in Japan, living as an alien. Living as that citizen in two worlds is tricky. I don't know whether you remember uh, quite a few years ago now uh, in federal politics, there was a whole bunch of parliamentarians that were kicked out. And they were kicked out because they had dual citizenship. Uh, It was revealed they're actually citizens of another country. And I was a bit slow to catch on with this. I was thinking, why are they making such a fuss of this? Why is this such a problem? But... It's about where their ultimate allegiance is, isn't it? See, dual citizenship is dangerous. What happens when your allegiance to that other country and Australia come into conflict? Who are you going to go with? Who will win out? And of course, the Australian people want to know that you are sold out for Australia, that you will back Australia when your interests are conflicted. And our allegiance to Jesus is like that. It must be number one. It always comes first. He is the true Lord. He is the true Saviour. He is the eternal King over the eternal kingdom. He is the one we belong to. And so my allegiance to him shapes my allegiance to my country, my citizenship here on earth. And I reckon that says something really profound about Christians and politics. You might have heard... Uh, people say, look, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be involved in politics. Uh, as a church, we shouldn't kind of get involved in social issues. Um, but Jesus said, no, no, you're, you're in this world. You're to be concerned for this world, the people of this world, the issues of this world. You're to take an interest and care for people in this world. But it says something else, doesn't it? It says that we're Jesus' people first before our political um, parties. We'll actually choose our political party based on our allegiance to Jesus. Uh, We'll vote and we'll make a call on political issues based on Jesus as king. Uh, Let me put it this way. We'll see our politics through the lens of Jesus 
not Jesus through the lens of our politics. Does that make sense? We'll see our politics through the lens of Jesus, not Jesus through the lens of our politics. So we're Jesus people. Our allegiance is with him. And so we will decide on social issues, on political matters, on parties, based on what Jesus says. Our, our eyes are fixed on him. And so our political uh, party may change. Uh, it'll depend on the issue. And we're actually freed up at that point, aren't we? We don't need to blindly uh, hold on to a political party or because it was part of our family history. or We're not a pawn for any, other, any political party. We actually are free uh, to speak God's word and discern what Jesus would want as, to both sides of politics. Uh, and you think about, is that not what Jesus would do in 2021? Is that not what Jesus did in the first century? See, what side of politics would Jesus be on? He would be unhappy with the left and he'd be unhappy with the right. And both the left and the right would be unhappy with him. Uh, wouldn't it be the case that the left think his sexual ethics are just out of this world? It's, it's ridiculous. And wouldn't the right be enraged because they hear that he's a socialist and that's, that's his thinking? But Jesus is not beholden to anyone, is he? And neither should we as disciples. Our allegiance is to Jesus and we're to please him. But come back with me to Philippians chapter 3. Look at, look at Philippians 3 again, verse 18. As citizens of heaven, we're called to a higher law, to a higher standard. Look at verse 18. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. This is the world. Look, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. That's where the world is up to. That's the description of the world that surrounds the um, Philippian Christians. That's the world that surrounds us. And Paul's going to say to us that you are called to live differently as citizens of heaven. You're not to participate in ungodliness, uh, but you are to love the world that you've been placed in. And so it doesn't matter that everyone else is doing it. It doesn't matter that it's popular. It doesn't matter that it's normal. It doesn't matter that it's legal. You follow Jesus. Your allegiance is with him. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're going to be different. And we've seen it again in Romans chapter 12, haven't we? That is the the exciting thing that God's doing for us. He's transforming us. He's changing our minds. He's actually changing our whole lives uh, to be people that please him. And that idea of transformation is here again in verse 21. Look, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. That transformation will be obvious on the last day, but it's a transformation that has already started. And notice that is something that the state, the government, cannot do for people. They cannot bring about real transformation. That is something that only God can do. Think about that for a moment. How does the the government, how do the rulers, even the most powerful ones, change people's behaviour? Well, there's only a few options, isn't it? You can do it by force. You can do it by military might. Uh, fortunately, that's 
not, not always the case here, but it's through law, isn't it? It's through here are the laws and here are the punishments. Here are the fines. Here is the imprisonment you'll get if you really push it. Or here is the incentive to make you want to do it. But it doesn't work, does it? Law can't change your heart. It'll just, you'll work out ways to get around the laws. It's actually God that changes our hearts. So we actually want to obey him. Can you see that the state, the government, is actually weak to bring about real change? Uh, they, all they, they just have to keep writing more laws. They can't bring genuine heart transformation, but Jesus can. And notice here too, there's the implication that the state is not here for very long. It's actually a temporary authority. Jesus, in verse 21, is the one who will rule forever and transform us, and we'll see on that last day. Uh, there is authority that God has placed, we saw it in Romans chapter 13, but it's a temporary rule. Jesus' reign is the eternal one. And so what that means is you can't put your ultimate hope in the government, can you? The government won't even be there. And we saw that just a few weeks ago. There's the Premier doing well and all of a sudden she's gone. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? You study history and you those powerful, where's the Roman Empire today? It's temporal. It will, it's fleeting. God is eternal. And so... Praise God for good government. Even bad government is better than no government at all. But even campaigning and praying for good government, as we should, won't necessarily guarantee the growth of God's kingdom. In fact, there's no direct correlation between good government giving freedom to Christians and churches and the growth of God's kingdom, yeah? We've got massive freedom in Australia, like the United States and other parts of the world, and yet the, the church is small and, and doesn't seem to be flourishing in accordance with the freedom that we have. The other parts of the world, like communist China, have had the, the, they've been clamped down by their government and Christianity has exploded. Or look at the book of Acts. We saw this um, earlier this year. The church is persecuted severely and yet the church grows at a staggering rate. Look again at this high standard we've been given. Uh, Look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on me, says Paul. And Paul says, keep your eyes on me, imitate me as I imitate the Lord Jesus. Not just to be a good citizen of Rome, I think you could say Paul was a good citizen of Rome. But he was more than that, wasn't he? It was bigger than that. He lived for a kingdom to come. He was a good citizen of heaven, uh, which made him do things that he would never have done because he realised where his true identity, where his real allegiance is. He was living for a kingdom that cannot be shaken, cannot be broken. It's that idea in Hebrews living for the city of the living God, not the city before us, but the city of the living God, the city that cannot be shaken. Um, Hebrews 13, we're looking for the city that is to come. And so it's more than being a good citizen, isn't it? It's actually people looking at you as a disciple of Jesus in the city and saying, wow, she lives for something bigger. 
Her allegiance is to King Jesus. Her priorities are different. Her goals and dreams are set beyond this world. What does it mean for us as we wrap up tonight? Uh, And maybe you've got some questions um, that's raised some questions for you. So we're going to try and grapple with some questions tonight as well. But it does mean being good citizens. There's no excuse as Christians for us not to be good citizens, to use our freedom uh, to obey government, uh, to love other people, to do good, and, and think very carefully when our allegiance to Jesus means we can't obey government. So that may come, but we need to not make that decision lightly. And we also need to live clearly for the kingdom to come, for the world to come, the city to come. Uh, Our citizenship is in heaven. And so it should be obvious, we're not sold out for here, we're sold out for Jesus and the kingdom to come. What does it mean for our constitution? Well, our constitution is is that um, government legal requirement of how we organise ourselves in relation to government. Um, And so it says we should have that in order. Um, that's what every, the New South Wales government requires of organisations. That's We're an organisation, we're a group, we should have that in good order. But it's important to get it in, in its right place. It doesn't legitimise us as a church, as it does perhaps other organisations. Um, we're a church living under Jesus, our King, without the Constitution, without the New South Wales government. Um, we're a spiritual body um, living with Jesus as our King, it doesn't describe us as a church. Uh, there's so much more to church than our church constitution. And this idea of a higher law that we're living to because we're citizens of heaven should make us good citizens and should actually mean that we're living godly lives. And when government sets policy to us, we are not only following the policy, but we're going over and beyond what the policy says because we're actually living to God's standard. And we're actually doing it because we want to. And we're actually doing it because we love people and we, love, we want to protect vulnerable people. Uh, not because we have to, not because it's the law, but because it pleases Jesus, our King. Well, let me tell you one last story before we pray. A, a uh, friend of mine who was a missionary overseas for a number of years, uh, so he, there he is, he's an, he's an Aussie, grew up here, loves Australia, Uh, calls Australia home, tries to live as a citizen of heaven, then goes overseas, um, goes to this strange part of the world in the Middle East where everything is different. Uh, The food is different, his apartment is different, uh, his work is different, there's different culture, different laws, different... Everything seems to be turned upside down. And he realises, this is not my home. I am so much of an alien. I am so much of a stranger here. But here's the thing, after 15 years of living there, he comes home to Australia and he said, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was coming home and I realised this is not my home. I've been gone too long. I've been in a different country, a different world. I have been thinking about the kingdom. And then he realised, actually, that's exactly where God wants me to be. The kingdom to come. Jesus is my allegiance I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm going to live here as a good citizen, but that's where home is. Why don't we pray? Our great Heavenly Father, please uh, help us as we navigate these two worlds, as we think about our citizenship in heaven and our citizenship here.
Uh, Father, help us to be deeply thankful for what you've given us in Australia, the freedoms, our wealth, um, the opportunities you've given us. And yet, Father, help us to have uh, a deep allegiance and uh, a certain and clear focus on Jesus and the kingdom to come. Father, let our allegiance to Jesus shape the way we think about our citizenship here. And Father, help us to be thankful for the citizenship you've given us in heaven, that because of Jesus, because of his grace and mercy to us, you've brought us into this wonderful kingdom. We pray it for Jesus' name. Amen. After the sermon, we also had a time of Q&A where people submitted questions and our pastor answered them. And we've included that as part of the podcast here now. Hello. Um, I got a question for you first up, Michael. Um, you've been thinking about this a lot. What does this look like for you? Where do you feel this tension? How are you trying to apply this in your own life? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the Constitution, all that sort of stuff, but yeah, what about yeah. for you? So I was going to say, the, the Constitution, as I've been thinking about that, and I think there's a question about it as well, so we'll get to it, okay. but it helped me rethink the Constitution and what is the Constitution and why we're doing it and all that kind of stuff, uh, as well as our other policies at church. But this week, um, thinking about identity, I think, uh, you know, the world chases after status. Uh, you are important because of what you do for work. When I tell people I'm a pastor, the, the conversation goes down, <laughs> not up. Um, it's not a high... Well, what, do, what do you do for fun? <laughs> that's then? right, that's right. Um, so it's just wonderful to be reminded that I'm not... Uh, my identity is in Christ, I'm part of the kingdom, it's eternal, this beautiful citizenship in heaven uh, is great for my security and identity and I'm not um, beholden to other people, you know, what they think of me or where the pecking order is and all that kind of stuff. Child of God, kingdom of heaven, that's really beautiful. So, mm. yep. Yeah, that's great and, and it's unchanging. Mm. The citizenship is secure. You can get booted out of countries. You can lose your citizenship. You can't lose that one. Totally. Yeah, so good. Um, can you link the sermon to the Constitution more, please? Um, I, does that mean more often? You want to do it regularly? Or does <laughs> Every that mean, week. <laughs> or does that mean... I think it means, what's the link? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I suspect the answer is, come tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, come tomorrow night. We'll unfold it. But I think, I think... What we need to see is the Constitution really is part of us relating to our earthly citizenship because uh, it's about government, how, like that's a requirement of government. A bit like uh, safe ministry policy as well. They're, they're saying to us, here's what we're asking of you. And so I think, what does it mean to be a good citizen? It's like we need to check off on that, be you know, doing that well. But I think it doesn't stop there for us. You know, Because you're a citizen of heaven, you go, well, this is about protecting vulnerable people. This is about um, integrity and accountability. Well, yes, I'm going to tick off on all of that. I'm not doing it just because I have to. Citizen of Heaven says that, that I need to be getting on with that far and beyond what the requirements of the government are. Um, I reckon it also just puts the Constitution in its place. It's how we relate to government. It's what the government uh, wants to know about organising our organisation it doesn't describe church. Church is, is, is that citizenship in heaven, that, earth, uh, that spiritual body uh, with all its you know, flourishing and ministry and a whole lot of stuff that is not there in the Constitution. So 
probably helps us navigate what we're talking about. That's a snapshot. Yep. Yeah. Um, definitely changing tact. There's a question. Should we invade other countries and overthrow bad governments? Whoa. I guess there's that sense of uh, God has established authorities, but some of them are evil and corrupt. Oh, yeah. So how do we live as citizens of heaven knowing... The world, the citizens, the rulers of this world are not pursuing God's glory. How to... Yeah, that's very tricky, isn't it? Um, and, and just with great wisdom and discernment because we're not God and so don't, don't step in and try and solve, you know, be the, the, the nation that is the hero and bring glory to yourself and try and bring justice. There is great justice coming in the, in the last day and yet God cares for the vulnerable and uh, the downtrodden and the poor. And so how can we as a, as a nation, you know, take it to an island in the Pacific, look at that island and go, look, that, that rogue of a leader is persecuting his people. How can we sit by in our comfortable freedom in Australia and go, oh, that's okay, you know. Mm. At some point we've got to go, we could help. We're going we're gonna to go there. So I don't know what the answer is, but yes, another some between those two. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of questions that have come in about persecution. Mm. Um, you painted a picture that might have surprised some people of persecution being a good thing yeah. in terms of growth of the church. Um, is that true? Is there more you want to add yeah. to that? Yeah. So, I mean, of course we should be praying for peace and freedom and good government. Um, so 1 Timothy 2 talks about that. And, and, and good government gives space for disciples of Jesus to flourish, church to flourish. I think that's what government is meant to do in the Bible. Uh, that's the Romans 13 government. But it's just really interesting, isn't it, across history, that when you've got those kind of governments, as close as you can get to them, it doesn't necessarily mean the church will flourish. So I feel like we're pretty much at, you know, it's, it's tightening up a bit for us as Christians, but we've still got heaps of freedom. Uh, and yet we're not seeing the church flourish. There's plenty of space for us to take up, you know, make more disciples. Um, and then you look at other parts of history in the world and you think, you know, look at communist China. They have been absolutely clamped down. It's not good. It's persecution against Jesus. And Jesus says in Acts, you know, you're persecuting me. That's, that's a terrible evil. And yet God used that for growth. And that story is told over and over again. It's a story in Acts. And so I think... Persecution is not good. We're not to be afraid of it. God's going to use it. It's a bit like even like hardship in our life. It, it forms us. And, you know, I think that's what's going to happen in our country as well. Um, Jeff, off the back of that, another question. Uh, is then uh, petitioning the government, trying to see Christian values mm. in our country, mm. feels like that's a good thing. Is that the same thing as growing the kingdom? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it is a good thing, uh, and we should be doing it, and there's a lot, lot of good that will come out of it. Uh, it isn't the growth of the kingdom. <laughs> um, it's two di- different things, because you can have a great government, peaceful society, justice, and notice in the West, a lot of that comes from Christ- the, the Christian ethic, right, the gospel. We, we take that for granted. That's not the case in other parts of the world, influenced by other religions. Um, but even if you, if you achieve that, that doesn't mean you've got disciples of Jesus, right? It doesn't mean you've got a church that brings glory and honour to God. It, it provides space, perhaps, but it might not even provide space. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's a limit, limited value. Like, there's, there's value, 
and we should do it, but it's, it's limited. Yeah. yeah, which ties in with what you're saying about oppressive governments. Mm. Uh, of course we want the best thing for the mm. people around us, and we know that God's way is the best way for everyone, whether they can agree with that or not. But yeah, you can't... Laws don't change people. Laws yeah, that's don't right. Make well, people and that's the other thing. It cannot make the disciple of Jesus. No law will do that. No good government will do that. The gospel does that. So if the government can give freedom for that gospel to be proclaimed, there's the church forming. But God can do it without good government, and he does. <laughs> so. yeah. um, one more question. How do we disagree well mm. with our Christian brothers and sisters at SALT? On this. That's a great We've question. got different ideas on politics yeah. and values and responsibilities and rights and yep. what we're campaigning for or not campaigning. How do we yeah. disagree well in the mix of all That's of that? That's a really great question. And I reckon first thing to say is get used to um, disagreeing. Okay, We're not all going to agree. Uh, of course, we're going to try and be united and God is forming us Ephesians 4 to be that, that unified body. But you know, we're all different stages of the Christian life. Um, there are some things that are not even right, wrong. They're wisdom calls and there's different views. Uh, I reckon here's an opportunity for us to stand out from the world because I, what I see in the world, and I'm sure you guys see it as well, is people tear one another apart. They absolutely brutalise each other and it's really not playing, you know, it's not playing the ball, uh, ball it's playing the man or the person. Um, they go for the person, they personally attack and I reckon as Christians, we're about playing the ball, playing the issue. Let's talk about the issue. You're a person made in the image of God. I'm going to respect you, even if I disagree with you. Even more, you're a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. We're family. We're not going to tear each other's heads off over this. Even if it was a gospel issue, we're not going to do that. We're going to love each other. And, and you know, lovingly and humbly persuade one another looking at the Bible together, so that I'm not... This is another thing that's different from the world. I'm not forcing my view on you. I'm saying, let's look at what God says together and see, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go yeah, that way. The spirit transform our yeah, minds. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, last question for you. In a sentence, what's the takeaway? What's the big thing you want us to leave? Lots of ideas we've covered, lots of ways to apply this. Mm. What's the big thing you want us to take away from this? I reckon this? it's the, no, you are, the, you are a citizen of heaven. Jesus is number one. And let that shape the way you think about your earthly citizenship. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Michael. Okay.